serve a great and mighty God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. God is so good. Amen? Sherry, why don't you lead us in prayer? Can you lead us in prayer, Sherry? God bless you. God bless you. Yes, Lord. We give God the praise. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes, oh Lord. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Blessings to all. Welcome. Welcome tonight to our Bible study. You may be seated. Just to let you know that next Wednesday will be our last Bible study uh, for Christmas break, but it will be our last study uh, in the book of Joshua, so i got a lot to cover. But uh, tonight we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 20, and we're also going to be looking at chapter 22. So if you brought your Bibles with you, this is a Bible study, not a phone study or a... It's a Bible study. And so we bring our Bibles to Bible study. And here we are in chapter 20. We begin here at verse number 1. And the Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out for your cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unaware and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he hath got flee unto one of those cities, shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city, and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city. They shall take him unto the city, unto them, and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer unto his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return, come unto his own city and unto his own house and unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in Mount Naphtali, in Shechem, in Mount Ephraim, in Kareth Jarba, which is in Hebron, in the mountain of Judah, on the other side of Jordan by Jericho eastward. They beside Bezir in the wilderness upon the plain, out of the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth and Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel. And for the stranger and sojourner among them, that whosoever killeth any person unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until 
he stood before the congregation. We're going to be looking also at chapter 22. But I've decided to share this word with you tonight, brothers and sisters, because it is so powerful. When you look at these cities of refuge, what they were, and as I look at these cities, I see something beyond the natural city that was supposed to, to accommodate those that killed individuals unwittingly. We'll talk about that in a moment. But these cities of refuge really is a picture of Jesus and what he has done in our lives and who he really is. And you might say, now, Pastor, that... You might be stretching a little bit. No, no, no. When we understand what the cities of refuge really were, we'll understand what Jesus has done for us. So I want you to just keep that in mind as we're sharing this tonight. And so as we begin, these were places, these cities, where people who inadvertently hurt someone or killed somebody by accident. It didn't happen uh, willfully, it was unintentional, and God did something for these individuals. God distinguishes between two kinds of killings in the Bible. There is premeditated, cold-blooded killing, deliberate. Then there's killing that takes place by accident. And the reason why this is important, because in the Old Testament, the culture of the time, if somebody was convicted of murder or if somebody killed somebody, that person would be stoned to death. Exodus 21, you kill somebody, you're stoned to death. That's it. But if a murderer was committed or a murder was committed by accident, then that person could seek refuge at the altar in the tabernacle and the altar was important. They would lay hold upon the horns of the altar and, 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 and they would just be able to come and cry out that God would come and rescue them. No one could take vengeance upon them as they would come to the altars and cry out to the Lord. You see, after Israel crossed the Jordan, all the tribes were scattered and they were given different areas of land to possess. And so God had to prepare a new structure for justice and protection for the people. You see, before the Jordan, all Israel would camp among each other, among the tabernacle. But after what took place, after the crossing of the Jordan, it was a new time. And God was bringing something new, a new law for them to adhere to. And so God establishes these six cities. These six cities were extremely important for justice. And these six cities represent something very significant, not only back then, but to us today from a spiritual perspective. And that's why I wanted to share this tonight. In ancient days, if someone was killed by accident, as I mentioned, a person whose family was violated, what would happen is then they would send an avenger, someone to, like a merchant, to go and kill that person. So if somebody killed somebody, and, and the family found out, they would send somebody to take vengeance over that individual. That's what would happen. That was the way people operated. It was basically an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 19, 
verses 1 to 6. Deuteronomy chapter 19, 1 to 6. I'll read it very quickly. When the Lord thy God hath cut off the nations whose land the Lord God giveth to thee, thou shalt separate three cities for three in the midst of the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess. Thou shalt prepare thee a way and divide the coasts of the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to inherit unto three parts that every slayer might flee thither. And this is the case of the slayer which shall flee thither that he may live. Whosoever killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hated not in time past, as when a man goeth into the wood with his neighbor to, 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 for wood, to cut wood, and his hand fetches a stroke which the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and, light, and, and, and lighteth upon the neighbor that he died, he shall flee unto one of these cities and live. Lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him. Imagine that. So if you're cutting wood, you're in the forest, and as you're cutting wood, the axe falls off, and, and it just so happens to kill the person that's beside you. <laughs> now what are the odds for that? But that could happen. God was preparing provision that if something happens by accident, that, that the law at the time which said an eye for an eye, that God is now going to try to protect you because you didn't do it deliberately. And this is the first time we see something like this. And so we see, if it was done by accident, God made provision, regardless of what happened. And so God has given a new law, and so Israel now is in the promised land, and we see God's plan given to Joshua of what needs to be taking place. Now, what's important is this, is that each city was about one day's journey. They were all, they were all um, divided equally, so it took one day to get to each one of these cities for refuge. You see, if God didn't arrange this, then it would, the, the barbarity would continue, and, and, and people would be dying constantly, and so God needs to do, do something very specific for these people. And these cities of refuge express the value of God for human life. God did this because he cares for justice. Because back originally, if you did something by accident, it didn't matter. You were guilty. And God wanted to change that. And so he wanted to bring a law of mercy and justice for people that do something inadvertently. And this is extremely important. And so they would find a refuge in this city. They would go to this particular city, and in this city, there would be peace. In this city, you'd be protected from the avenger. The avenger could not come and kill you. You would stay there for a period of time, and there you will find protection. And so I want to share four significant points that parallel the cities of refuge to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now watch this. The cities of refuge, number one, I'll give you principle number one that begins with A. The cities of refuge were appointed by God. God appointed these cities for protection. He appointed them. He took the initiative to do it. Now how does it refer to Jesus? God appointed Jesus. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten. God appointed Jesus to come to this world. Jesus came 
by God, appointed by God, and now we have refuge in Him. He is our refuge. We go before Him. He now is our peace. He's the place. He's, he's our hiding place, as the Bible says. So just as the city of refuge was a hiding place for that person that was guilty, or was, was not guilty, but did something inadvertently and was seeking refuge and protection, here, Jesus is our refuge. He's our protector. He's the one we run to. He's the one we go to for refuge. He's the one we go for to seek help. If anyone, anyone, didn't matter if this was a Jew, Hebrew, sorry, or a stranger. The Bible says in Joshua that here's God's love again. That if somebody did this that was a non-Hebrew, you would still go to these cities. Here we see God's love for the stranger. Here we see God's love for, for the non-Hebrew. And we see this over and over again in the Old Testament. We, a lot of people think that God only provided for the Hebrew people. Let me tell you something, friends. When you look closely, you see that God even made provision for the Gentile. And we see in, in Joshua chapter 20, I just read it, that if, even if a Gentile did this inadvertently, he can go to one of these cities of refuge. Number two, so we see that God appointed these cities of refuge for someone to find peace and to find safety. Jesus is our refuge. He's our peace. He's our safety. The name of the Lord is a mighty tower and the righteous runneth unto it and are safe. Number two. The cities of refuge were available for anyone. Verse 9. I mentioned this just before but I want to give you some more detail about that. Notice verse 9 of chapter 20. It says here, These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the strangers. I'm, I'm just amazed to see how many times I see this provision in the Old Testament. And for the stranger. It was, it was available for everyone. A refuge, regardless of color, creed, background. It didn't matter. It was available. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in. So the city of refuge was appointed by God. Jesus appointed. God sent Jesus to come to this earth. The cities of refuge were not only appointed by God, but available. That anybody can come. Anybody can come to these cities. Anyone can come to Christ. Doesn't matter who you are. There's always room at the cross. Number three. The cities of refuge was accessible to all. Verses 7 and 9 in chapter 20. Look what it says. It says, and they appointed they appointed. Kadesh in Galea, in Mount Naphtali, Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kadesh Ariba, which is in Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. Verse 9, these were the cities appointed for all the strangers, whosoever killeth any person unawares might flee. What is the Bible saying here? The cities were accessible to every single one. All cities were built on a mountain. Now watch this. These were mountains. All the cities were equal distance, but they were all extremely visible. This is significant. They were all able to see these cities because they were built on some kind of, of cliff or some kind of mountain so that nobody can miss where these cities were. 
I like that because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also says that when you experience my light, you become like the light of the world. And so these cities of refuge were accessible, but they were visible as well. You couldn't miss them. It brought hope and light to the world. Just as Jesus, who came to this world, he's accessible, he's, he's visible. You, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, if you're hungry, I will give you to drink. Jesus is willing and he's opened. And, and they were visible. In other words, if any man really hungers for God, you will find him. If anyone thirsts, you will find him. There's no secret passage. There's, there's no secret code. It's right there. Jesus came to die on a cross for you and me. And he's here Today, he says, if any man hears my voice, I'm knocking on your door of your heart. If any man hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and I will sup with him and him with me. And so we see that people can come. That this place was visible. And in a sense, really, isn't this also the purpose of the church? The church is like a lighthouse, isn't it? The church should be seen. The church should be a place where people can go to place where there should be something about the church something about the church it should be the grand heating central system of, of, of our community in the winter time it should be the light it should be something about the church something about the church that should attract people these cities attracted people because it was a place of refuge and it was visible. People can see it. Now, have you ever noticed in the Bible, the Bible speaks a lot about mountains. There's something spectacular about mountains. We know that Moses received the commandments on Mount Sinai, the law, Mount Moriah. Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac and we know that God spared his son and a great miracle took place as he provided the ram and Jehovah Jireh, my provider, on Mount Olives. Jesus ascended to heaven. Mount Transfiguration, Jesus was there as he transformed before disciples. There was Moses and Elijah. Tremendous miracle took place. But the most glorious of all mountains was Mount Golgotha. There Jesus was crucified. And I had the privilege of being there when we went to Israel not too long ago. Something glorious about a mountain. You, you can see things. It's visible. It's glorious. It's, it's accessible to all. And these cities were on a mountain where anybody can go. And I see that as something today, friends, where we have to be a people where, where people are excited to come, where there's a, an invitation to come, where there's, there's uh, uh, something that's seen, where you want to be there. You, you're drawn there. You're drawn there by the presence of God. You see, friends, these cities were never closed. They were open day and night. They were open day and night because you never know when someone was running for his life. 
And so, and so these cities, they didn't have any curfews. They were open. Anybody can go at any time. The church must never be closed. Oh, I guess we close our doors. Of course we do. But the principle of the church, in other words, we're always open. There's always a willingness. The church, as Peter says, be ready to give an answer to any man. The church must be ready to give an answer, ready to bring the truth, bring healing, to bring refuge. And I'm not necessarily talking about a physical building, because you are the church. See, this is what this is about. It's, it's that you are a picture of these cities. And although it reflects Jesus as a parallel, but as, if we go deeper, it's also a picture of what you and I should be like. You and I should be like one of those cities of refuge. Accessible. Available. And so although these cities parallel Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, in reality, it's also a reflection of how you and I should live. Paul said, if you see your brother is caught in some problem, he says, restore that individual. Bring restoration to someone who's hurting. See, that's what these cities of refuge, they were to bring restoration and refuge. That's our calling. Our calling is to bring healing to the world. Jesus calls us the salt of the earth. Salt brings healing. Among many other things. But these cities are so important because it's also a picture of how you and I should live in this world. Number four, the cities of refuge were also advertised widely. That's right. You see, it was the duty of the people to advertise these cities. And we see this in Deuteronomy 19. I just read it. There were roads to be built right up to these cities. And so God gave them a description. Listen, you build the cities, make sure you got roads and you got paths that people know how to get there. Don't make it difficult. Oh, I'm telling you, I'm seeing a lot of things here. So God says, I want you to, to build these cities, but I want you to make sure you build the roads so they can get there. Build them well. See, once a year, these roads and bridges were repaired, the Bible tells us. Once a year, so that people can get there easily. And they would do this. It was a command. And there were signposts Directing people to the city of refuge. Can you imagine that? So, so if you're coming from a distance and you, you got, you're, you're on the right path, there's a road, and it was, there were signs. Just like when you drive on the 401, you go into Montreal, you see Montreal, 220 kilometers. There were signposts directing you to the city of refuge. There was an ad, there were advertising. God was serious about this, so that people can get there easily. Important. They wanted to be sure that people knew where to go. 
They wanted to be sure that people knew where to go. Oh, friends, I see something really powerful here. Life lesson. You are that signpost that brings people to Jesus. Just like they advertise the city, what do you think you and I are called to do? Titus chapter 2 verse 10, it says, adorn the doctrine of Christ in all things. Adorn. Now you've heard me use this before, those that have heard me preach. I quote this a lot. Watch this now. Adorn the doctrine of Christ in all things. Titus chapter 2 verse 8 to 10. What does the word adorn mean? The Greek word for adorn is the word cosmio. Cosmio, cosmos. The English word, we get cosmetics. What are cosmetics? Anybody know what cosmetics are? Ladies, when you... Lipstick, eyeliner, a bit of, you know, a little bit... Okay? You know what that is. Maybe something. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're adorning yourself. You're making yourself presentable. and yeah. Making yourself more attractive. Adorn yourselves. What Paul is saying, make yourself attracted, attractive so that people see Jesus. Look, I, I, I said, you know, I've said this before. I asked you, if you met you, would you like you? No, people, people should never dislike or not want to follow Jesus because of you. My ministry, your ministry, my purpose is to make Jesus attractive. How? Through my life. If my life is not attractive in a godly way, how are people going to say? Listen, you are the Bible that people see. You are a walking sermon everywhere you go. You carry a pulpit everywhere you go. You understand me, brothers and sisters. The greatest sermon is not what you see or hear on Sunday or even today. The greatest sermon is what's seen in you and me. So just as these cities were advertised, pointing them to healing and refuge, our lives should point people to Jesus. By how we live. The greatest testimony for Christianity are Christians. However, the worst testimony for Christianity are also Christians. <laughs> That's for free. You can take it or leave it. <clears throat> my goal as a believer says, God, my purpose is to glorify your name. My purpose, Lord, is to, to, to do whatever I can to bring people to Christ, to, to, to be a light for you. That's what these cities were meant. We are a city of refuge for the hurting. That's why I, I love this particular portion of Scripture, because I see something in there. I don't just see a physical city. I see something spiritual here that applies to me today in the year 
2023-24. They were widely advertised. That's my responsibility. To be a light in this world. Did not Jesus call me a light? Did he not call me salt? Well, what else does salt do? We just said it healed. What else did it do? What, what else does it do? It preserves. It creates thirst. Gives flavor. So, if I'm creating thirst, if I'm, if I'm giving flavor, then I'm, I'm attracting people to Christ. So these cities of refuge are pretty powerful in the physical realm. But look how powerful they are when you look at it from a spiritual perspective. My life, I'm pointing people to the city of refuge. And so I got to be accessible. I got to be available. I've got to be that, that signpost that draws people. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to look what your calling is. I'm telling you now what your calling is. Your calling is to be a signpost. You probably haven't heard this before. Maybe you have. But it's the truth. We're always looking for some specific, some, you know, what am I called? Am I a missionary to, to, to you know, Guam? Am I, am I, no, listen, listen. You could be a missionary to Guam. You can do all those things. But your first responsibility as a believer is to be a light in this world. That's what you're all called to do. So how we live and how we advertise is the key. God was serious about these cities. He wanted justice. And this is my responsibility. To bring justice, to bring peace, to bring light into this world. Those who needed help, you can point them to Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. And so we are signposts in this world, my friend. Can you imagine, brothers and sisters, someone being chased down a road with a knife, crying out for mercy, the city of refuge, and, and, and somehow you, you knew, but you didn't tell him. You didn't tell him where to go. What a shame. What, what a shame. What a shame. Suppose, suppose you've been living in the times of Joshua. You committed a crime accidentally, and you knew where the city of refuge is, but you didn't like to go there. You don't don't like the priest. You don't like the place. Would there be a plan B? There's no plan B. There's no other way. There's no. This was the only way to find your refuge. Friends, can you imagine? There are people dying out there, and there are people that need, need, need healing, need salvation, and, and we have the answer. Can you imagine if you knew somebody like then that was, and you, could, and you didn't tell them where to go? What a crime that would be. But you see, don't we do that inadvertently, many of us? How many opportunities has God given us to share his love with people, but, but we haven't? For whatever reason, maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you don't want to look bad, maybe you, you're fearful. How many opportunities 
Have God, has God given us over the years where we, where we had an opportunity to share the word of God with someone, but we didn't? For whatever reason. And you say, Pastor, how can you say that? I'm going to tell you why I'm saying that. Because according to statistics, 95% of all Christians never win a soul to Jesus Christ. That's, that's terrible. This is recently. It was different years ago. That tells me, brothers and sisters, if that's true, only 5% are truly winning souls to Christ. 5%. Now, look, I'm only telling you the statistics. I don't know how accurate they are, but I'll tell you one thing. I believe they're fairly accurate because I do know statistically 80% of people in the church do not do much. Only 20% carry the load. That's a fact. Well, if that's true, then it could be possible that 95% of Christians do not win anyone to Christ. And if 95 is too high, let's go even to 80. That's still not good. Why am I saying this? I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I'm only saying this, my friends, because this is what we are called to do. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. When someone comes to Christ, he becomes a living signpost. When someone comes to Christ, that person's desire is not necessarily just to come to church and grow and grow and get spiritually fat. If someone truly comes to church, I tell you something, my friend, the desire of that individual is to want to share God's love with somebody. It's automatic. The problem is, over the years, that passion has waned. Over the years, some of you had a real desire to win the lost. Some of you, when you first got saved, you were so passionate to share Jesus. But over the years, the trials of life, difficulties, hardships, has weighed us down. For some of us, that fire has, has waned. And the first sign where the fire kind of drifts a bit, the first sign, I believe, of, of someone who's losing their passion for God, in my opinion, the first sign is a lack of desire to tell somebody else about Jesus. Nobody wants to evangelize when you're lukewarm. <laughs> Nobody wants to preach the gospel on the streets or at work when there's no fire burning in you. Brothers and sisters, please be reminded tonight that your call and my call is to be a living advertisement of who Jesus is. You might say, Pastor, I'm struggling there. Ask God to put a fire in you. Pastor, I'm not very good in witnessing. Ask God to open your mouth and give you words. There's no plan. There's no strategies. You know, talking to people about Jesus comes from within you. Don't have to go read a book. Don't have to go to Bible college and study. It just comes from within you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
So my point is this, just as these cities were life and death and that there were advertisements and people knew where to go and they made it easy for them, so it is with you and me. We must point people, we must be living advertisement to these people that are hurting. And believe me, friends, there's a lot of people hurting today. And I know it isn't easy. Pastor, you don't know the people I work with. You don't know my family. I, listen, I know. I've heard it all. I've experienced it all too. But if God has shown you mercy, can you not show someone else mercy? Let's move on to chapter 22. We'll look at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 22. Excuse me. Then Joshua called the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said unto them, Ye have kept all, the Mo all, all that Moses, thy servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the command of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return and get you into your tents and unto your land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law, which Moses, thy servant, has charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. This is a time again as we've talked about transition, change is constant. They went into the promised land. There's so many different things that they were experiencing. And it's not easy to go through change. Change isn't easy for most people. I think the only people that like change are babies in diapers, to be honest with you. But I've been doing some of that with my grandkids. But change isn't easy for most of us. We don't like change. But change is necessary. And uh, there are times that we will go through change. There'll be times that God will shift things and change things. And it's important that we understand that. This is what was happening to Israel. Now people resist change. We know the Pharisees resisted change in John chapter 9 verse 13. They didn't want to believe because it would mean changing their lives. And, and by the way, folks, a lot of times when you do share the gospel with people, the reason why they don't want to believe or listen to you is because they don't want to change. It's not that they don't believe you. They don't want to change. They're happy with their lifestyle. They don't want to change their lifestyle. That's what the Pharisees, they didn't want to change. I have many people that I've shared the gospel with over the years, it wasn't that they didn't believe me. They did believe me. They just didn't want to change their life. They were too happy with their lives. They loved the way they live. They didn't want to give up certain things. 
And so change can be difficult. <laughs> now, in our text that we just read, we see this that took place in the book of Numbers. In our text, these tribes back in Numbers 32, we'll be looking there in a moment, they asked Moses, these tribes, they didn't want to cross over the Jordan. We want to stay right here, they told Moses, and rest, and then after we fight, then you fight, then, then we will cross and deal with the matters at hand. But right now, we don't want to cross over. We like the land that we're in. The land is fertile. We just want to stay right here on the east side because we're all shepherds and we like it here. But Moses said this in chapter 32 of Numbers. He said, all right. But you have to lead the fight when the time comes. As we cross over, all these three tribes agreed, and they did this. And we see this in Joshua chapter 4. And in verses 1 to 4 in our text, Joshua says, Okay, you've done all that we asked of you. You can now go back to the east side of Jordan and settle there. And they were all dismissed. Now, some problems took place. When things are changing, there are certain things that must never change. When things are changing, there are some things that must never change. When things are changing, there are some things that must never change. And we see in chapter 22, verse 5, Joshua made sure they understood this. But, okay... You're going to go on the other side. You go right ahead. But as you move on to the other side, make sure you are diligent to do the commandments of the Lord. Make sure you do what the Bible says. Make sure you keep your priorities. Don't change. You can travel there. You can go there. But make sure your priorities don't change. Oh, how important is that? And so, I want to share some thoughts regarding this. Give you some W's. I want you to notice, number one, when the Bible says, keep your priorities and don't change, what's it referring to? It's referring to the Word of God. My friends, in changing times, can I bring it to the year 2023, 24? If there's ever changing times, it's the times we live in today. Everything around us is telling us to do things differently. There seems to be no tradition anymore. Everything's different. How we do church has changed. Everything's changed. It's incredible. Even in my time, how things have changed. But in changing times, and here's where the church at large has failed. The church overall, not everyone in the church, speaking generally, in our changing times has tried to make the church appetizing, tried to make the church conducive. And, and you want to do that. You, you want to make the church in a way where people are drawn and, and you want to do what you can to make the church comfortable for others to to come. We just talked about advertisement, and, and, and that's a good thing. The only problem is, 
if you start changing things like the word of God and what God says, then we get into trouble. What goes on in church today, in some churches, in many churches, especially the mega ones, I, I tell you now, my friends, it, 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 it's, 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 it's unconscionable what's been happening today with the word of God. Today, the word of God is not preached. Today, we see people preaching on philosophies, opinions. You might take one scripture. You might talk about this. But, but you see very little people, very few people in the church today, ministers who focus on the word of God. There's a focus on everything else. And the main focus is, how do we get people to church? How do we make it appetizing? So let's, let's try to make the church look nicer, brighter, nicer. Let's get a cafeteria in the lounge. Let's, let's make it really come, so we relax. Let's not make it too offensive. Let's get rid of some words in the Bible like sin and repentance. We don't want to offend people. We want to attract people. So let's just compromise. Let's just take this out. And by the way, what the Bible says about this, we don't want to preach this too much because we don't want to offend people. Now we've come to woke. And now they've taken the male pronouns out and no longer do we pray our father who are never... Because our father's masculine. We don't want to offend people who've had bad homes and bad fathers. And we don't want to offend because maybe God is not a masculine. Maybe God's a female. So let's not use our father. And so let's take our father out of the Lord's prayer. My friends, this is happening everywhere. In changing times, Joshua says, make sure your priorities are straight. First W, keep true to the word of God. Some people believe the word of God is just symbolic. Some people believe the word of God may contain the word of God, but it is not the word of God. Parts of it. Some people say, well, this is inspired, but this isn't. Well, how do you know? The Word of God now has become relative. The Word of God, there's no more absolutes anymore in the Word of God. There was a study in Arizona, Christian University, they discovered 58% of Christians that they surveyed don't believe in the absolute truth of God's Word. And so, now these might be nominal, doesn't matter. And they also surveyed people of the world. It's, it's higher, but this is what they believe. They believe that half, more than half of the people in this world believe that truth is relative. If you want to believe you're a dog, you're a dog. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. This is what's going on today. You want to identify as a cat? Okay, that's your truth. So truth is based on what your truth is. It's relative. There's no absolute truth anymore. Gender. Now there's about 10 different genders today. 10 genders. Really? Interesting. It's my truth. Okay. And that's 
what's going on today. And it's entering the church. It is. And so we have to be very careful in changing times that we do not compromise the word of God. Number two, in changing times, never change the worship of God. Keep focused. Make sure worship is worship. Jesus said, you must worship me in spirit and truth. In changing times, we must continue to worship the Lord and not worship the creation. You might say, what do you mean, Pastor? You'd be amazed how many people today, it's like worship. I, I, do we really worship the Lord anymore? What does it mean to worship the Lord? To have him first, to adore him, to love him, to want to honor him. To have reverence, to be in awe. Today we go to some churches, you have your worship, it's like some kind of entertainment. I'd rather go to a, I'd rather go to a club. I'm just being serious, brothers and sisters. You know, you might get mad at me, but I'm telling you the truth. Now, this, now look, I'm not saying this in every church. Please, don't misunderstand me. I'm telling you what's going on overall. I know this because I'm, I, I, I'm in the field, okay? So I think I know. Don't pollute worship with gimmicks and fashion. There, let me, there was a time... I won't go into detail, I'll just give you the gist of it. So there was a group, uh, there was a popular group when I was uh, pastoring in Brantford. I won't name the group because they were very popular and they, just worshiped, they were very well known. And uh, God was using them and I really, I really enjoyed this particular group, this, this group of... Uh, <coughs> and they were so popular that many people started to imitate them. And so they started coming onto the platform with uh, certain clothings that they used to wear. They had their hair done the way this group had their hair done, thinking that somehow if I copy how they dress and how they act, that I'll get their anointing. And so worship became not so much exalting God, but how I looked on stage, how I performed. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. That happens quite a bit. All I'm saying is this. In changing times, make sure you don't compromise the word of God. Make sure you don't compromise your worship of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's where worship comes out of. It's adoration. Number three, my third W. In changing times, make sure your walk with God brings glory to Him. Your walk. Your walk with God speaks of daily. Walking with God speaks of, of, of being each day dedicated, afresh. You're walking. That's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, walk circumspectly. In other words, be careful how you walk. Be careful that you don't walk and just walk, but, 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 but you're, not, you're not walking worthy of your calling, as Paul says. 
your walk with God. Your focus. Walking speaks of discipline. Walking speaks of commitment. Walking speaks of daily activity. I'm walking daily with the Lord. I'm pursuing God daily. That's what it means to walk with God. I'm surrendering my life daily to God. So in changing times, i got to make sure I'm walking circumstances. I mean, today we don't hear much about holiness. We don't hear much about cleanliness, purity. I talk to some people, we don't talk about that anymore. What? That's, you, one person called me that I wasn't in vogue. I'm not cool. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with the times, pastor. You get with the times. You got to preach differently. I'm telling you the truth. I was accused of not being in vogue. God bless you. I'm preaching holiness. You're not in vogue. Can you, brothers and sisters, I, I'm, you th- I'm not exa- I'm telling you the truth. So when you, you, you talk about holiness and righteousness, ah, you're a hate monger. You're homophobic. And, and people will call you these things because they hate the truth. God's called us to walk in truth. And people hate, might hate you, but it's the truth they hate. Hate the truth, they'll hate you. And so they'll call you legalistic. What are you preaching on these things for? Because we don't hear much about this. And I want to give you a word, brothers and sisters, in changing times, make sure you walk the walk. Be pure. Give me a clean heart, Lord. Clean hands. Let my life be pleasing to you how I live. What I do will be pleasing to you. How can I please God? How can I walk with God and walk with the devil at the same time? Can't do it. How can I be the bride of Christ and the mistress of Satan at the same time? Can't do it. I can't expect to shack up with the devil and... Ask God to pay the rent. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Can't do it. I'm called to live a life of holiness. I'm not holy. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. But as I walk with God, I'm surrendering my life. God's power is flowing through me. As I walk with God, I'm seeking him every day. God's power is going to flow with me. As I'm walking with God and I'm surrendering to him, he empowers me to live a life that brings glory to him. That's how we become advertisements, by the way. And the reason why we're not good advertisements is because we're not walking with God. In changing times, stay true to the word of God, not parts of it, all of it. In changing times, make sure you worship the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. In changing times, make sure you're walking with God on a daily basis. This is what Joshua's saying. Can I repeat it again? 
but take diligent heed to not see, see, see heed to do the commandments of the law of the Lord to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments hallelujah number four in changing times make sure you you're doing God's will and not man's will God's will God's will Lord what is your will for my life because in changing times, as, as the gospel's becoming polluted and diluted, as man is becoming on the forefront, and, as, the, and as, as things are changing, and as conviction is leaving the house, and there's no and compromise, ever, yeah, I might be tempted to do my will, to, to do my thing. But I'm reminded of Jesus in Gethsemane, not, not, Lord, not, not, not my will, but, but your will be. You want to please God. As you're walking with him, you're asking him, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will? I don't, I don't want my will. My will will get me into trouble. My desires will get me into trouble. My, my flesh will get me into trouble. Lord, Lord, what do you want? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? I hear too many people saying, well, you know, tomorrow I'm doing this. Next month I'm going here. I'm going to get this. I'm going to do that. And James says, you don't do those things as if there's no God. You must ask, is it the will of the Lord? I, I, I speak to some brothers and sisters. I never hear them say, Lord willing. I'm doing that. Do my thing. Well, brother, what about Lord willing in all this? Do, do you know if this is God's will? Oh, yeah, God's will, no problem. Oh, really? Have you prayed about it? Well, I just know it's God's will. No, 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 no. James has a word for us. Whatever you do, whatever you focus in on, if it's future, you always say, Lord, this is, this is my, my desire, but Lord, but Lord, if it's your will, then so be it. But if it's not, then change my course. So what's my, my statement again? Am I going to say it again? Write your plans and Lord, this is my desire, but I'm going to give my plans to you and I'm writing them in pencil. And Lord, you've got the, the, the great cosmic eraser. If this is not your will, then just erase it, Lord. And set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings, Lord. Number five, lastly, in changing times, I must continue to work for God. Work, work, work for God. We are his workmanship, created unto good works. Hereby is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. When you're a servant of God, I mentioned to you that the desire to share the gospel is is something deep within, within every true believer, but also a desire to work for him. You can't work for your salvation. I'm not talking about that. There's nothing you can do that can earn your salvation. It's all filthy rags. But you can work after your salvation to be doers of his word. If 80% of the church doesn't do anything, then we have a problem. I'm only giving you facts. 
What's happened to the, only the 20%? That's why there's burnout. Church, because we're counting on people that, you, you want to you get something done, ask a busy person. Repeat that again. You want to get something done, ask a busy person. But there's a lot of burnout in the church because only 20% are carrying the load. Now, it changes with different churches, but overall, it's about 20%. God has called me to be his workmanship. We are co-workers with him. How can we be a light if we're not doing anything? How can I be salt if I don't do anything? Listen, listen. I might have a salt shaker, but if I don't take the salt shaker and put it on my fish or steak or whatever you want, it's not going to taste any good, is it? The salt has to get out of the Salt shaker. Get involved, brothers and sisters. Don't just come and sit in a pew. You might say, Pastor, I'm too old, I'm too young. Listen, please, you're never too old and you're never too young, okay? I'll just tell you straight up, that's just an excuse. God can use you at any age at any time. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, it's irrelevant. I just spoke about Caleb not too long ago. 85 years old was, was the greatest time in his ministry. He was an old man. So please don't use that. And so we need to, in changing times, make sure we're true to the word of God. In changing times, make sure that we worship the Lord. In changing times, make sure we're walking with God circumspectly. In changing times, make sure we seek the will of God and not our will. In changing times, make sure we are continually working for God. This was Joshua's instruction to the tribes of Israel. These were his words. Your priorities must be maintained. Must be focused. Stay focused. It's so easy to change our priorities in transition. So easy to change our, our priorities in challenging times. Our vows. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. My brothers and sisters, make sure you keep the main thing. The main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Stop focusing on incidentals. Focus on essentials. The word of God. Worship. Witnessing. Sharing his love. The Bible says there are so many things that must never change when it comes to changing times. Priorities. And Logos, I want to leave you with that. Make sure you keep your priorities. This church's name is Logos. I believe that's a spiritual reflection of what this church believes and stands for. The word of God.
in changing times, make sure you keep true to what God says, not what man says. You might not be popular, but it doesn't matter what man says. In Luke chapter 15, I want you to see an example of how people change their perspectives because of the environment. Listen to this story. Then said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servants at supper time, said to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuses. First said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and, and see. I, I pray, please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I, I've got to go and test them and please I pray to have me excused. Another said, I... I just got married, wife, and therefore I cannot come. So then the servant came and showed his lord these things. The master of the house was angry and said to the servant, Go quickly to the streets and the lanes and the cities and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. We're all invited to come. The gospel message is for all. The cities of refuge, they were advertised. Come to this place. And Jesus came to this world to be that city of refuge. And Jesus came and invites all. That messenger is a picture of the evangelist bidding people to come to Christ. To come to the great banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Come, eat from his table. And it looked pretty good in the beginning. And so he went and spoke to certain individuals. And someone said, well, you know, I, I want to come. But, you know, I, I, just, I just bought a piece of land, you know, and I, I, I need time to, to look into that, and I've got some work to do, and I, I'm just too busy. I won't be able to come. Another man bought five yoke of oxen. We'll look at that as a novelty. He bought a brand new car. I don't have time. I've I got to test my new car. got to make sure it runs properly. Another one said, no, I, I'd, <coughs> I'd like to come, but I just got married. You, you understand. Do you know how many people I've married who promised me they'll be in church once they got married and never saw them again? There are so many excuses why we can't come to Christ. We see it in the scriptures. Not everybody's going to receive. When I shared with you about witnessing and sharing the gospel, that doesn't mean everybody's going to listen to you. Of course not. I've had more people laugh at me preaching the gospel than by far those who've accepted. By far! But that shouldn't stop me. Because God tells me not everybody's going to receive. My responsibility is not to convert a soul. 
My responsibility is to share his word. Because God's the one who converts, not me. But I have to do what God's called me to do. To plant a seed. That's, that's what we're all called to do. Because you never know what God will do with that seed that you planted three years from now. Five years from now. If I can tell you some stories, I don't have time to tell you some stories. Where I, God would have me speak to somebody that I would think would never receive Christ. And it was a big risk, but I would. Whether it was in a, a crowded place, whether it's on an elevator, on an elevator, whether it's on the corner street, the devil was saying, oh, what good is this? You think you're going to make a di- You think he's going to listen to you? You think they're going to... And then I find out two, three years down the road that that person gave their life to Christ. I'll never forget one day. I witnessed to a friend of mine I used to go to school with. And... Um, It was around Easter time. She was a wonderful girl, but she was pretty skeptical. And, but I wanted to share the love of Christ. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. So I, I, I shared the gospel with her and I prayed for her, and, and, and that's all I can do. And I just, you know, left it at that, but kept praying for her. This was uh, in nine, it was. 1984, I believe it was. I got married in 87. In 1988, was it, Nadia, that we went? We went to an Easter production in Montreal in the Evangel Church. I'm with my wife. I'm married now. This is like, how many years later? 84, 88, four years later. I'm walking in the church, and all of a sudden I hear this woman. It was a lot of people. It was Easter. Dino! And it was a woman's voice, right? It got louder and louder. I turned. I couldn't believe who I saw. It was that girl I witnessed to four years ago. Her name is Sophie. I almost, I was dumbfounded. She came up to me. I said, Sophie. She goes, Dino, I want to tell you something. When you told me about Jesus... I kind of listened, but I kind of didn't. But when I got home, there was something stirring. I, I used the word stirring. She didn't use stirring. And then it persisted months after months. And Eventually, I ended up speaking to someone who led me to Christ. I went to a church. I gave my life to Jesus. And I told him about you, and he says, I know who that is. He's a pastor. And she, she's been on... And she's because I, did, I was in evangelism, I wasn't at Trinity at the time, and so she was trying to find where I was. And she found out that I was going to be at Evangel on Chris on Easter, and she wanted to tell me what God did in her life. Brother says, You never know, you never know who you can win to Jesus Christ. You never know. My responsibility is to share that seed. God's responsibility is to cause it to grow. 
I gotta close. I gotta close. Now, Joshua gave them permission to go back to the land, these three tribes, Gad, Reubenites, to go back. Now, something happened, and I wish I, my time is kind of waning here, so I'm going to go quickly. But they were on the move, and something took place while they were gone away from the rest of the tribes of Israel. Now, friends, let me just tell you this. In verse 11 and in verse 12, I want you to see what happens in Joshua chapter 22. Watch what happens. This is an amazing insight. Look what happens. 11 and 12. And the children of Israel heard, they say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan and the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go and fight against them. So, let me paint you this picture. They're gone. Joshua gained permission. They did what they had to do. They're back in the east side. They got their land. And, and all of a sudden, they find out that the Reubenites built an altar. Well, you can't do that. You can't build your own altar. And they got upset. <coughs> and they wanted now to go and fight with these tribes because of this altar that was built. And in verse 13, we see that before they act, now this is very important, before they were actually going to fight, they sent a man by the name of Phineas who wanted to ask some questions. So let me read it now. We look now at verse number uh, 13. It says, And the children of Israel and Reuben and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, he went to speak with them. Notice verse 16. Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against God and Israel to turn away this day from following after the Lord you have rebelled? Verse 17. Is the iniquity of Peor too little for you? Verse 20. Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit trespass and the accursed thing and they fell on the congregation? So what's going on here? Watch this now. Very important. So the tribes have left... Uh, and they heard that the Reubenites and the Gethites, they built some kind of altar. They weren't allowed to do that. Can't serve two gods. And so they were going to fight against them. But before they actually went to fight, they sent Phineas, the priest, to go and see what's really going on. Very significant. Phineas tells them, what are you doing, O Gadites and Reubenites? Do you not remember what God did at Peor when, they, when, when, when Israel went to Horing and, 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 and went to Moabite women and how he destroyed them for, 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 for seeking idolatry and having fornication? Do you not remember what happened to Achan when he, when he lusted over, over the money and, and the clothing and he hid and he took the gold and he hid it from everybody? Do you not see how God dealt with that sin? 
Do you not see how God has dealt with the previous sins? And that he's serious about sin. He's serious about holiness. He's serious about how you walk with him. And now you're making an altar. And you're going to serve another God. Do you not realize the consequences that will accompany this? So Phineas becomes a spokesman for Israel. To deal with them and to rebuke them. And, to... and so, verse 20. <clears throat> I'm coming to a close. Hang in there. He speaks of Achan. He speaks of Pure. He speaks of all the other rebellions. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? Do you not remember? You need to turn away from this. You need to repent of this. Now watch this, brothers and sisters. Are you ready for this? I want to pause here because there's an incredible spiritual insight that I want to share with you. Let me say this. You might have 98% of the information, but the 2% that you don't have might be what is really important. They had 98% of the information, but there was 2% that they didn't understand, nor did they hear of. In verse 21, 28 to 29, we see that it's the 2% that wasn't understood. That's the key to this whole thing. What they responded, and look what they said in verse 28 and 29. Watch this, folks. This is amazing. Look what they said. Therefore said we, that it shall be when thou should say to us in our generation, time to come, that we may say again, behold, the pattern of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifices, but it was a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings and sacrifices. No, the altar of the Lord our God, this is before the tabernacle. And when Phineas, the priest and the princess, the and the heads of the thousands of Israel, when they with them heard these words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. What's going on? They're about to kill them all. Phineas goes there. He says, what are you doing? Don't you see this is going to happen to you? They said, wait a minute, Phineas. You've misunderstood. I don't know what you've heard. You've heard, yes, we have built an altar. You're right. You're right. We did build it. But it's not another altar. It's a duplicate so we can be mindful of our God. It's not another God. It's just so we can be focused on God because we don't have it here. That's all it is. It's a replica. It's not another altar. It's not another God. It's the same God. But we're far away. We just wanted a replica. That's all it is. A replica. And when the children of Israel heard this, it pleased them. They, they understood that they were not serving other gods. They didn't build another altar because they don't want to serve the Lord God. They... It's the same God. They just actually, this was incredible. This was, to, this was so they won't forget. This was to draw them closer. They all misunderstood. 
stood. And they almost had a civil war because of it. Oh my brothers and sisters, there's so many life lessons here. So many life lessons. Let me say this. In changing times, we just gave you some W's. Let me give you some S's. In changing times, we need to be sensitive. We need to be sensitive. Don't just be so dogmatic. Be sensitive to people. Be sensitive to what they're going through. In changing times, we must be serious about our priorities. We just talked about that. In changing times, we must be sober-minded. Gather all the information, not just some of it. Too many people speak too quickly. They don't have all the information. The Bible says, a fool answereth a matter before he heareth it. Assuming. You know, people, they just assume. Well, I've just assumed. You always do this, so you do this. Oh, yeah, you do this. They always assume. They always assume that you do this. They always assume that you did it. They always assume that you said it because it seems to kind of match, you know, some of the things you've done before, but you can be completely wrong. Number four, in changing times, we must need to be spiritually mature and deal with things properly. Be mature. Go check things out. Go see what's going on. Phineas said, before we go and fight against these, our brothers, let me go and see what the problem is. Let me go see if I can work something out. Maybe we don't, maybe there's something we don't understand. Maybe there's something that happened that, that we're not sure of. So before we take this action, before we act hastily and accuse them and, 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 and cause them to be guilty, charge them to be guilty, you're not going to be destroyed because let's just see maybe if there's something that we haven't received yet. Maybe there's something we don't understand. And good enough, thousands of people were spared that day. Let me close with an amazing story. A dog was so faithful to this particular woman, she learned that she can leave the house and that she, this dog was so faithful that even leaving her baby behind, that this dog took care of the baby as good or better than anyone that she knew. She always returned and found the baby soundly asleep. Everything was great. It's a true story. But the dog faithfully watching over her baby never had a problem. But one day, something tragic happened. As she went out shopping, she left the baby with the dog, as usual, never had any worries whatsoever. As she returned, the baby's room was a total mess. The baby's crib was totally dismantled. There was blood stains everywhere. The mother went into complete shock. She wailed as she began to look for the baby. All of a sudden, she saw the faithful dog emerge from the bed. It was covered with blood, licking its mouth. The woman was in disbelief. She was in shock. It was as if the dog had just finished a delicious meal. The woman got so angry, she thought the dog had devoured her baby. Without much thought, she beat the dog to death with the baseball bat that she had beside her bed. 
And she continued, however, to search for the remains of her child. She beheld another scene close to the bed. There was the baby, who although lying bare on the floor, was safe. And under the bed was a snake, torn into pieces, in what had been a fierce battle between the dog and the snake, which was now dead. Then reality dawned on the woman. She now understood what took place in her absence. She understood why the place was completely stained with blood and messy. The dog fought to protect the baby from the ravenous snake. But it was too late for her to make amends because in her impatience and anger, she had killed the faithful dog who loved the baby. Point, my brothers and my sisters, how often have we reacted and misjudged people and torn them apart with harsh words before we have time to truly evaluate the situation. Phineas saved thousands of lives that day. Now you may not be able to do the same thing in that context, but you can do it in a different way. With your families, your friends, your community. How many times have we been in situations where we may have misjudged, miscalculated, we didn't have enough information and we made our assessments before we understood exactly what's going on. The Bible is telling us Make sure you have all the information before you make your assessment. What did we learn today? In changing times, make sure that the Word of God is the Word of God. In changing times, make sure you worship the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. In changing times, make sure that you ask for God's will because in changing times there might be situations <laughs> that may not make sense. There might be situations where you may not know what to do. Make sure you pray for His will. To be done. Changing time. Make sure not only are we walking the walk but make sure that we work. Hereby is my Father that you bear much fruit. In changing time, make sure that you continue to be that light, my friend. Be that light. Shine. Shine in the midst of darkness. You were born to shine in the midst of darkness. That's what these cities of refuge mean. Amen? Let's all stand together.